2: I'm Wes Moss, and I am here to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. To reach that many folks takes the work of more than just me or one person, and I have a fantastic team behind the Retire Sooner podcast, and I've decided to bring them in to help address some of the questions and topics that you've sent us. You're about to hear from my team members with answers that can hopefully help Americans retire sooner and happier. And I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started.
0: The Great Depression, Tulip Mania, The Silk Road. The financial industry and markets have been at least a footnote, if not a major headline in the history books since what seems like the dawn of time. Over this time, though, there have been countless changes and evolutions that people have faced, and the technology has completely revolutionized from where we're living in today. It seems to be putting these changes on an exponential curve. To better address the changes that we're seeing in the more recent years and to speculate on what we might see in the future, we've brought in Matt Reiner today. Matt Reiner is a managing partner at the RIA's Capital Investment Advisors and Wallace Strategies. He's also a founder of Benjamin, a technology company supporting RIAs. Those are registered investment advisory firms. And Matt's background blends investments and technology, which is why we've brought him in to discuss how investors today are able to better leverage technology to manage their money faster, smarter, and easier than ever before. Matt, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: So excited to have you. Yeah, Matt is one of probably the busiest people in this firm, I would have to say. He's always running around. He's got his his hands in a lot of different – stirring a lot of different pots, I guess you could say. And um, a lot of those actually come back to technology. It's how he feeds into a lot of what we do around here. Um, and so I – Whenever we decided we wanted to talk about the evolution that we've seen in the industry, we definitely wanted to pull Matt in. He's got that background. He understands where we have seen things change. And obviously, you know, you can go back so far in time and see the difference that the financial industry has wrought on the world, but to see how people today are able to leverage that in such a much more powerful, much more simplistic way. It's truly incredible. So I'm, I'm very excited to discuss this. With yeah, you.
2: this is a passion of mine. So I, uh, I always like talking technology and wealth management. I think that the two married together um, is something that is um, growing and changing the way that we all access information on finances and also are able to manage our money uh, going forward and hopefully to retire sooner.
0: I love that. I mean, it's true. But but I tell you what. Before we start talking about retiring sooner in the near future, let's let's back it up. It's time to get let's let's hit the history books real quick. I want to talk through how things have changed. Even just you know, you can back it up to the tulip mania. I feel like everybody compares that right now. What with like the crypto bubble that we've seen. Um, granted, I guess, I don't know if you even call it a bubble right now, because has it busted? Or I guess it has busted and it's not busted. I don't, where are we even? It's welcome?
2: still growing. The bubble's still being blown up right now. Okay, yeah, okay, it's okay. still being blown
0: up. Well, at some point, I'm going to have to find somebody to talk with us about that, because I still don't even understand it. But let's look at something a little bit more near term, right, as opposed to tulip mania. I feel like over the last 100 years, you know, it's, it's 1920. It's definitely not 1921
2: right now. It, 1920. Uh, <laughs> let's hope it's not 1920. Ooh, We've made some no. advancements <laughs> since.
0: Just a few. Just a few. Uh, so it's it's 2021 right now when we're recording this. But let, let's back it up about 100 years. Can you give us an overview of how markets and investors have really evolved over the last, let's say, 100 years?
2: Yeah, I think that that's somewhat of an interesting just history lesson, right? It's not, it's not something that we tend to think about or remember um, when we go into investing, but it's actually really, really intriguing so if you think about it over 100 years ago or 1900s we can even go back to there 121 years ago uh you know you had jp morgan the man himself uh oh, yeah. start oh, yeah. his firm right in which a, by the way
0: a, um can we just talk about uh, my mom is currently reading this book called the personal librarian and it's all about like jp morgan's per- have you heard about yeah, this
2: i haven't but i need to look at yeah,
0: it yeah it, anyway it sounds really fascinating personal librarian his personal librarian which who even knew people have personal librarians
2: do they read the book to you
0: I That would be, be great for convenient. me. That
2: would be great. It's Audible before Audible. I was about to it's say. Audible it's Audible, audible. before uh, Audible. I'm so sorry. Uh, and they probably cost a lot more than Audible, I would honest. guess so. Uh, I, would, a hope so. I but, would hope so. I'm but so back sorry, in JP. the 1900s, you had J.P. Morgan, you had Bear Stearns, you had uh, D.H. Hutton or D.F. Hutton, um, and you had all these brokerage firms. And, and investing at that point, if you, you know, for me, it would be talking to my great-grandparents, you know, they had to call their broker and ask to buy stock. And it was only for the uber wealthy at that yeah, time. And
0: that, yeah, I think that that's one thing that really stood out to me, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it was such a much less accessible form of building wealth, right? Like, I guess everybody could buy a house back then, but but who, who could actually invest it? But not money? really.
2: I mean, if you think about it back in the 1900s, early 1900s, I mean, the people that were investing were the people that were already extremely wealthy and, okay. and, and you and had know, to have a ex- lot of money. Who was extremely it, wealthy back then? I, you know, I don't know what the, the wealth levels was. It wasn't a million dollars because a million dollars back then would have been like, you know, if you look at inflation, I haven't done that math on it, but it would be, you know, close to a billion probably by now. And yeah, so yeah, not, not you're, you're, you're thinking about like 100000 right you think about what people were earning and what the price of milk was i mean milk let's just use that as an example was mm. five cents ten cents a yeah, gallon yeah, yeah. I remember now it's from three dollars a gallon I think or something like that God, so talk about the price uh, of change. it's a little bit of a different uh situation if if you were wealthy uh you probably um you had a bigger house than everybody else you were probably working in you know at that time our agriculture. Uh, you're, you're heading up the farm, you're doing everything of that nature. That's where the money was made. Um, no, and that so and railroads, railroads were huge, right? <laughs> if you're running a railroad. And so you had to call your financial, you had to call a broker and you get access to that. You had to be wealthy. What a definition of wealth will, will determine that we can do some analysis on that. But, um, and that's how it was forever. So the access, if you think about it as a, I always think about it as a pie, it was a small pie, right? At that time of who could have access to to building wealth via investing. Then you go and you fast forward to the nineteen seventies, and two firms really changed the landscape and expanded that pie to provide opportunity to more people.
0: In the nineteen seventies. In
2: seventies. And that, that was when that's
0: interesting. So so prior to that, it was just as long as you had enough money, you were probably introduced by what, your banker to like some broker, and then
2: you knew someone, right? And yeah. you had to go, you had to go and meet them, or you were introduced to them by a family friend. It's usually family wealth at that time, right? It was, that makes it was sense. family wealth, mm-hmm. so it was passed mm-hmm. through. It was like John Jane, what is our advisor, they helped Grandpa, so they're going to help you, and the money kept on passing through, yep. and they had access to that, um, and it was all just stock trading. It was brokerage, and the brokerage or the broker made money on ba- making trades, right? And okay. that's what they would do.
0: Okay, um, actually, the, you know what? I'm, I'm, one go. more thing. This reminds me of it too. It's well, just sort of silly. Uh, do you remember the movie Holes? From Holes. Not really, but go it. for it. Okay. Well, anyway, it was, I'm not
2: was, a movie buff, as 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 many people know. I'm not much of a movie buff. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Well, listen, you're missing. Out. Listen, it was a I Shia know.
0: LaBeouf movie, like back in his golden era, right? Like, and he, there was even a song about it. There was like a whole like rap in it. It was, it was a fantastic movie from like, God, only one, one like, rap. I know, I know. They really probably should have had more, but it was fantastic <laughs> to be fair. But, um, in it, the whole premise was that uh, I, they, there was this lost treasure um, from a family member that, by the end of the movie, I'm so sorry to spoil it, y'all. It's been out for about you know fifteen, twenty years now, but um, it uh, they find this treasure at the end, and it's this big like old lockbox that's full of just written stock certificates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they they get so excited. So, I mean, like, are we talking? I guess you're talking about like physical. Yeah, they would have certificates.
2: stock certificates, right? And they would be holding their stock certificates. And you know, some people have gotten those passed on from generation to generation, and they still have them. And it's uh, it's now all digital, but you would get an actual stock certificate um that people would hold and you have to put it into a you know safety deposit box or a lock box in your house and that's how you had your portfolio there was oh. no there was no online brokerage accounts to look at right <laughs> you would have to go and look at the paper to okay. see what the value of it was and you rarely knew what the value of it was until you needed it and then you would oh. take it to your stock broker and you'd cash in your
0: your stock certificate so so as opposed to like, you know, now, obviously, you know, you open your phone, you open your app, and you're like, oh, okay, here's what the market's doing today. Back then, it was like, all right, what what, what is in my portfolio? And you just sort of, like, fan out all of yeah. your printed stuff. Well, I mean, you everything.
2: think about also, you think about with, you know, bonds, right? So, there's this term and phrase that many people say uh, in, in, in the world today. It's called clipping your coupons with bonds. That's actually what happened. You what? have to clip your coupon and go take it to the bank, and you get your, your dividends or your interest from the bond. That's okay. called clipping coupons. I'm, I'm
0: imagining, like, like, a new... Newspaper coupon, yeah. like it was it like like little dotted edges around the edge. I actually like... think of it.
2: I actually I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I actually look at it more of you know those papers you used to see on the bulletin boards that maybe in school and they would yeah. have all the you know would have like call this number and it would have all like the fifteen different things you just tear it off. Yeah. That's what I envision it as. You just tear it off and take it to the bank and you get your interest on your bond. And so oh. the bond itself had coupons. And if you ever get a mortgage, uh, if you got a mortgage recently, you know that when you go to closing, you get a sheet and it has two or three kind of um, coupons, they actually call them. And those are your first two or three mortgage payments that are on there on a sheet of paper. and. This time you have to cut them, but they 're like you know a dollar size type of a shape, and those are similar to what coupons were when you were getting your bonds. They were pieces of paper that you took and you you got your interest from it
0: you 're blowing my mind so I, I had no idea this was a thing
2: it's a it's a whole different thing, so that is that's how it was done right and okay. like you would get your paper you know paper boys would deliver the paper, and you'd have the um the markets in there and If you look at the New York stock exchange you know back in the day. Um, you know, not even back in that far, you know, even go to the eighties, the -hmm, New York Stock mm -hmm. Exchange used to, you would see videos of these people yelling at each other, doing buy and sell. And they would have these pink slips. And if you go to, if you go to New York and you go to NYSE and you stand on the floor, which is now basically a museum, you'll see these tubes that were there. And those tubes were where they would put the trades in and they would have pink slips. They put the trades. I think the trade was on a white slip and then they had the pink slips as their, um, Uh, their tracking mechanism and at the end of the day they would have to go and track all the trades and the pink slips would get you know up to their knees and so if you talk to a former trader on the new york stock exchange you ask them what did they what was it like or what is it like now versus what it was like and they would say back then was the it was a game it was drastically different than how it is today because now you just go and sit on a computer and you do the trades while you're on the floor then you would have a congregation of people if they wanted to buy apple right you'd have a congregation of people one person owned apple you'd have 25 other people right around them yelling you'd have to do the math in your head oh my gosh uh, based on what is going on what's the value of it how much are you willing to do how many shares how much money do you have to spend and you'd be doing like a, a whole bidding auction on the floor with all these sheets of paper and it was raucous it was oh a crazy gosh. environment if you go and just take if you look at videos or pictures in the past the new york stock exchange was is it drastically different today than it was in the past, and traders today aren't really traders that's what the 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 industry says um it's all computers and what it was in the past you had to be you had to use your brain and you had to use skills on the floor and it was a rush that you had every to every day that you had this massive rush for f- eight hours and then you get out and it was a different world than it is today
0: this is amazing i just i'm just envisioning this totally I guess I guess whenever I see those pictures, they always use well, we are we've used these pictures. Let's be very clear. I mean, you know, like you know, you get the people who are like it looks like they're on the stock exchange floor, like you know, holding something up and yelling. But what you're saying is people don't do that anymore.
2: Not anymore. So if you go, you can do a tour of the New York Stock Exchange. I was fortunate to do multiple of them back uh, many years ago, and this was about you know actually. 10, 15 years ago, that I did my last tour up there. Uh, my last tour, it sounds like I was going to, you know, going to military in the military, my last tour of duty. Um, but my, my last tour of the New York Stock Exchange, and, you know, those guys were actually still using just pads, and they would just, they don't even have to go to, you know, like if Lehman Brothers at the time before they failed uh, was selling stock, you'd have to go to their post to buy stock from them. And so everybody would go over there uh, to their post. And now you can stay, like if you're JP Morgan and doing trading for JP Morgan, you just stay sitting and just do your trading on the floor. And that's it. It's not as crazy, not even close to what it was.
0: That's so interesting. It's such a fun like visual to, to imagine what that actually looked like. And I can only imagine how crazy that would have felt. I guess it almost sounds like you'd be like in a mosh pit for eight hours, mm-hmm. right? Just... Trying to keep your head above water and and doing math at the same time. It just sounds... That's, that's a different the world. The
2: CBOE, which is Chicago Board of Options Exchange in Chicago, is uh, was one of the last ones to be able to really have that type of mentality in there. And now it's all gone digital as well. But they, they had that type of trading longer because they were trading options, which are a different vehicle than stocks um, uh, for investing. And they were using that for a longer period of time than the NYSE or the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and so it's just an interesting... uh, dynamic or evolution in the space that's happened um, and how we know investing today.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
0: let's come back to this though because we're talking about the evolution of this change right and we're so talking we're on about 1974 the 1974,
2: yeah. 1974 there's two firms that changed the whole landscape of investing and, and expand the pie of who can invest uh and uh a firm that uh, two firms i think everybody still remembers and knows really well is vanguard and uh, jack bogle or john bogle and uh and charles schwab they created a industry called discount brokerage model and what that allowed for is that now allowed for people that were not necessarily uber wealthy but maybe just wealthy or on the verge of wealth uh, to invest because they lowered the cost of investing. They opened up the access to be able to invest by creating um, you know a different type of mentality. That's where the discount brokerage model came well,
0: from. Yeah, and hang on, hang on. When you say a different type of mentality, so so did they come in and they were like, you know what, we're gonna shake up the game. Like what what was the motive?
2: Yeah. Well the motive was that they wanted to provide the 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 challenge and I think that you've seen it in the evolutions that we, we've seen in the past five or ten years is that they said there was a a large part of the population that didn't have access to investment opportunities and we want to provide that to them and you know with with john vo or john bogle or jack bogle um at Vanguard he created the the index fund that said this is a new way of investing right this is a new opportunity of, a, of an opportunity to invest using the index fund as opposed to which was a a basket of, of investments as opposed to just using a single stock investment so you're able to get diversification which meant that if you want to get diversification let's just use an example yeah. let's just use the and p 500 right okay. back in the 1920s if you wanted to get access and diversify your portfolio and have a very you know and get access to all five 500 stocks in the S&P 500, then you would have to go buy each individual stock. So Apple was trading at $20 and Microsoft was trading at 30 You have to go I'm, buy... I'm
0: going to go ahead and just jump in here for uh, Holly, our compliance officer. We are not advertising anybody go and purchase these and we are not saying that this is the price. Keep going.
2: It's an example. It's an example. <laughs> if you wanted to go buy the S&P 500, you have to go buy indi- each individual stock back in the 1920s. When we started to get to the discount brokerage model and started to get to the index model, fund model, you now could go buy one index fund, you know, out a Vanguard, et cetera, and you would get access to all of those individual stocks. So it made the cost to investing and the amount of money that you needed to have to invest to get a diverse allocation less, which expanded the pie and the opportunity for more people now to be able to invest. And it was a different mentality in the sense that there, it wasn't built on stuffiness. It was built on inclusion, okay. um, bringing more people together. And that's what Vanguard and Schwab did. And that's what they, they continue to do today yeah. and be a leader in that space. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so they expanded the pie, and uh, and that was in seventy two seventy four. In that period,
0: let me ask you too. Do you know like what percentage of the population was invested prior to that versus like what they were able to leverage to? Also, so everybody knows, I'm putting Matt Reiner completely on the spot right here. Did not give him a heads up. He was going to be
2: all these the stats question. that I needed to bring. I did not bring <laughs> that, so I, I don't know what the the um, the percentage of people that were there. I, I would say. If I were if I were a betting man I would bet that the people that were investing pre 74 pre Vanguard Schwab was probably only you know two to three percent of the of the entire population because there wasn't wow. there wasn't wow. an access to investing yeah. and people didn't have the money to be able to invest. It was I expensive yeah. to invest. And Actually, again, but
0: yeah. How much did it used to cost? Because this is one of those things I think I've heard it before and I think it blew my mind. So well, so well, let's just me. go
2: to I don't know what it cost in 1920, but let's just go 15 years ago, right? Okay. And, this was, and that would be a good representation for the prior 20 years was to buy a mutual fund or to buy a stock. Uh, a mutual fund was costing about you know 50 to 75 dollars to buy a stock it was $20 to buy and sell a stock
0: so so to buy and so so we're not even talking about like the cost of the individual stock itself just for the the right the the ability the access to purchase that's how that's
2: how brokerage firms made money was on the trade so every time so then that's why people had to make decisions and that's why how investing has evolved over the years is that we had to be cautious of the cost to trade so if we were just going to go buy you one share, for example of uh, of of company ABC then uh, and it cost maybe ten dollars a share well it 's not cost it 's cost prohibitive for us to go and pay twenty dollars to buy a share of ten dollars stock because it 's going to cost you thirty dollars to get a share of ten dollars stock so you, you have to be careful of that, and also on the sell side you don 't want to be trading a lot so that 's how brokers made money was by trading that twenty dollar commission was a was a a slug that they would make on their mm-hmm. on their trade um and so if you're trading a lot, now I get these twenty dollar hits every day right if I have my kids' college tuition coming up well i'm going to go make a lot of trades because I need to get a lot of those trades in right that's how the mark that's how the industry was that gave a black eye to the industry because that's how they made money that has now drastically evolved okay. but the co- okay. but just that gives examples of how costly it was. For people to invest, yeah. right? Not only did you have to buy the share of stock, you had to pay for the commissions on that, and so it, it excluded a lot of people. And that's what Vanguard and Schwab changed with discount brokerage model.
0: That's amazing. Well, so okay, so so they came in and they said, you know what, this isn't working. Let's open it up for the people. What what did they do to do that?
2: So the way the 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 discount brokerage model was this concept of they made it simpler, right? They gave also more locations for people to go to. Uh, made it easier for people to get access to, right? To to our point or conversation earlier, um, how did you find a broker? You, yeah. you had to know them, right? right. Uh, they came in and they marketed themselves. They okay. got it out there um, and they lowered the price hurdle, right? That's also what they did to get out there is oh, okay. that they were able to get out there with a lower price point, which now exposed more people to the opportunities. Um, by having you know advisors and offices, etc. cetera, um, they were able to get in the neighborhoods of families, et cetera, to make it easier as opposed to having to go downtown. They were now opening the door for more families to get involved.
0: Actually. And let me ask you this too, because we're talking about the 1970s whenever they got this thing started. When was it? The 401ks became a big part of the picture. It was around the same time, right?
2: Yeah. It's it's eighties, nineties is when the 401k became really popular. If you look at the stats on that, and I don't have them uh, specifically, but, um, pre, you know, let's just say pre 1990. Okay. Um, the main way for retirement savings was all built on a pension, which means that you yeah. put the Which some you put people are onus, still
0: lucky enough to have. Very
2: much so. And a pension is, I mean, but the, if you think about the pension, the pension puts the onus on the company mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. the money to pay you out, right? Yeah, Well,
0: and that's why we always hear about all these issues with pensions, correct?
2: Because you have to, because the company, it's expensive, not mm-hmm. only for the company to fund it, but it's mm-hmm. expensive for them to manage it because what they mean, have to t- manage for for people into the future based on different life expectancies
0: company that i feel like people just say it's all it is is like a pension it's like a a living pension for everybody who's worked there previously
2: yeah i I mean teachers i mean and government officials and government Mm -hmm. employees have a pension and it's a really really great pension um and you think about like calpers and that's the california pension employee retirement savings plan over there um they're they're great right and it takes it takes the risk of retirement off of the individual There was a shift in mentality, and I don't know what caused it. I think that companies started to see that it was so costly to maintain, it was costly to fund, and it was starting to hurt their P&L. And of course, there was legislation passed, which led to the 401k happening in the 80s and 90s. And companies started to say, well, you know what? We can still help people with retirement, but we can shift the burden and the risk for retirement savings from us, and the cost from us, to our employees. And we can still help them with the match and everything of that nature. And it was a, it was a drastic shift. And you know, some people, and we can, this is a whole different topic, some people can argue <laughs> that you know, that's led to people being having a tougher time in retirement because now people have to really understand investing and saving, even if you have a 401k advisor and a great 401k plan. The burden is on you to save. The burden is on you to ensure that it's consistent. And the burden is on you to make sure that you're investing in it to grow it over time. And uh, with a pension, there was no thinking. You just work for a company for 35 years and you're good, um, or 40 years. With a 401k, there is more onus on you. And it also could be the reason why people are changing jobs more frequently and not Mm -hmm. committed to a job because there's not this carrot at the end of the line.
0: So bringing it back over to schwab and vanguard Mm -hmm. so all right so it's 1974 they've just launched this which again i'm gonna go ahead and make the argument that that might be why like people were more comfortable with the idea of the 401k they'd been so exposed at that point to this idea of investing individually um all right but these guys came in they decided they wanted to shake up the industry they opened discount brokerages they're offering these discounted rates on purchasing and selling Mm stocks. So people are starting to get involved with that. Uh, At what point? Okay. So, and you said, you know, so so then that goes from
2: 74 and they start to expand and they start to grow and they continue their path. And then in nineteen ninety to 94 there was you know we all know the internet boom started right the the internet and um there's a company by the name of e-trade that came out
0: oh i remember um, that e-trade what was it the dancing baby The Dancing
2: baby. oh my the, gosh that commercial those were those commercials came in well after they had already started their firm and that's when they made their super bowl push was on uh, with the dancing baby or the talking babies yeah um and uh e-Trade came in and started to do internet uh the internet brokerage model, right? Now, and
0: hang on, so so just to like set the picture here, because we're talking about if I remember correctly, we're talking about the days of dial up internet. Yeah. So I, I remember you, sitting there at that home computer and like, it was, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to get online. Let me, let me hit the AOL, the, the latest free trial version of AOL. You Fisk, get the CD ROMs the, yes. in your, in your
2: email and it's 500 free minutes. Oh, and you yeah, put and you it you in. It's every one of those free it's minutes. The three blocks to mm-hmm. get you on. Right? Yes. Oh
0: my. And you had like that one, like annoying sound that I, I'm not even yep. going to make it. Cause it's so obnoxious.
2: But maybe you can plug it in right here. Right, <laughs> in, the, in the podcast
0: Marissa, Marissa, can we get um, your help
2: with that one? The, uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's but that was yeah so it was that was the days of of AOL AIM and instant messaging and all that Um, and E-Trade was was extremely ahead of the curve on that side and what they did was they expanded the pie again because now they said, well, if you're a forward thinker and we're going to actually make it even easier for you to be able to invest, right? So you think about, let's just go through the progression again. Early 1900s, you have to call, you have to know a broker, you have to call them to trade stock, you then get the stock certificate. If you want your interest from your bonds, you have to go into the bank with your coupon, etc. Clip
0: the coupon. Right, clip
2: the coupon, right? <laughs> it, it's become, it's a burden. Yeah. Then you get the brokerage model and yes, they st- they made it, it, it was all based on cost mm-hmm. and access to him. but they, you still, it was still difficult. You had to pick up the phone you had call in numbers
0: yeah, and then and like if you were like tracking the price of something you're still looking at the paper
2: still looking at the paper right yeah. and if you wanted to trade it you still had to call someone yeah. to trade your oh, stock or to yeah. buy your stock right yeah. but now you have it's a different model but with with e-trade in the internet uh, brokerage model they now allowed you to go on and trade online which made it easier, right? So now I don't even have to talk to anybody.
0: Wait, wait, so were they the ones who really hit that, like took that They started off?
2: that, they started oh, that model. Oh, I didn't
0: realize that. So, and what did that look, I almost imagine it's like you emailed in, like I would like to purchase XYZ. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, so considering that I was, uh, I think I was still in uh, maybe middle school or when they came out uh, initially, I don't recall what they looked like, but it. they still, they did have, it's not like the trading that we had today, but you could go in and place a trade and I don't even know, I don't think they processed it right away, it would be processed that day. Yeah, but the, the, yeah. the UI and the GUI and the access, the GUI,
0: GUI. The, the
2: user interface, the user interface to be able to go log in, right? So the phone. So you got
0: like two techni- Technic- techie for me. <laughs> the,
2: they, they, they created a website. Let's just say that. They created a website that you could go in and trade on, and that made it easier to be able to go and access and actually make trades. So now you don't even have to talk to someone. So again, we expanded the pie Mm -hmm, again mm -hmm. with E-Trade. And so now we have a different subset of individuals that were – they don't have to know a broker at Schwab or Vanguard or at JP Morgan. They don't have to know anything. They just have to know that they have the internet. They have to have those CD-ROMs that we talk about for AOL. Log into AOL and go to etrade.com, sign up for an account, and they can now be an investor. So you, you think about who now is able to invest. It's now the whole spectrum at that point. And that that's sense. the the third of the fourth evolutions right now.
0: Wow, wow. Okay, hang on, hang on. That's the third of the fourth of the fourth. Okay, hang on, hang on. Well, then yeah. we, gotta, we, we got to we obviously got one more. We, gotta, we, gotta talk we got about one, the more. one Well, and like that actually. Uh, but going to your brokerage point, that actually makes me think of the first time um, it, it was when I was in my first job, like out of college. I, I got talked into opening a brokerage account, and I remember like I think it was on. I think it was Fidelity. And, you know, I didn't talk to a single person. I just, like, I went online, I opened it. And when I had somebody from there call me, I was like, ooh, who are you? (laughs) So the idea of, like, having to, you know, 100 years ago would have been, like, you know, you had to know somebody to even make any kind of purchases like that. It's amazing how much it's changed. Well, you
2: think about the mentality shift, right? Everything in investing and and the evolution, and and I'm a big... um, you know learner on behavior on psychology, especially behavioral psychology and if you think about it is that when in the early nineteen hundreds it was you had this mental hurdle that oh, they're going to be so costly. Like, I'm not going to call someone at J.B. Morgan. It's going to cost me so much. I don't even have close to enough to talk to them, right? But then what And then, I, what I said that Vanguard and Schwab did is they changed the mental perception of investing. That's what the discount brokerage model did. Everything that they did tactically is just what they did for their business model. But for the investor, what they did was they changed the perception of investing because it's like, oh, it's not actually going to cost that much for me to call them. It's not the same as me calling Bear Stearns. And that then opened up people's perception of investing say maybe it is for me and I can't start investing. And then e-trade opened it up even more, right? They said, you know, those people at the uh, on Wall Street, they're greedy. They're hungry. They're expensive. But, I don't yeah. have to ever call them anymore. We right, all saw the wolf
0: of Wall Street. Shoot, it was it was a scary time back Go in the for 80s. It. I mean,
2: yeah, Ooh. it was a crazy world then, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's what E-Trade did is now I don't even have to call someone because uh, now my perception isn't necessarily the expensive stockbroker in a striped suit uh, with a tie. It's me sitting at my kitchen table. And that then opens the door to more people from a mental perspective to then start exploring investing at that point.
1: Robert here with a quick answer to a question I heard recently. What is inflation and how is it calculated? Let's start with the first part. What is inflation? Inflation is simply a way to define or a way to describe how much a good cost today versus a year ago. So if a Big Mac, for example, cost $2 today and a year or a year ago it cost $1, that's 100% inflation. Big Macs don't cost $2, but you get the point. How is it calculated? About a million factors that no one can explain. But the real answer here and why it matters is because when inflation is high, your current dollars or your current bank account is worth less. Your purchasing power is lower. So the only way to offset that is to earn more money on your cash or make higher wages. And that's why many people are concerned at today's level of inflation is because it erodes the purchasing power of the consumer.
0: Let's talk about this fourth
2: turn. So, the fourth, so that was in 1990, let's call it 92, 94, right? Right before the Braves won the World Series uh, in 95. (laughs) And (laughs) then you come back. That's the way we
0: measure time. That's how we measure time
2: in in 26 and decades, or in a quarter of centuries. so then you go to 2008, 2009, and two companies emerge called uh, Wealthfront and Betterment, and Ooh, yeah. they they emerge with this trend that shook the entire industry, and it actually has changed the entire focus of our industry going forward. Wow! Um, and they created something called the robo advisor. Um, the, the robo-advisor. That's what they created. And that,
0: I'm not going to lie. That sounds a little scary, but also cool.
2: It's cool and can be scary. And, and don't think of robo as being like, it, it does sound futuristic, but really what it was doing was taking this idea of um, saying, all right, you can trade online, right? That's what E-Trade did. Um, you still needed need in that time to have someone to call to be able to get a, an allocation or to blend the portfolio, to build an entire portfolio. What Wealthfront Betterment did is they created long-term holding, investment allocations from your phone. Oh. Right after the iPhone came out, you remember the iPhone came out in, I think, 07, 08. Mm-hmm. Um, then they had apps and they had now these websites and they made it easy for you to open up an account. Because even with E-Trade, even with Schwab, even with Vanguard, it was still a burden. It was, it was just a clunky experience to open an account. And Wealthfront Betterment said, well, we're going to make it even simpler. For all these people that came and lived in the internet boom, we're going to make it so simple to open an account to fund money. And then you know what we're going to do? We're actually going to build you a portfolio of 5, 10, 15 investments. And we're going to trade it based off of all the data that's in the internet these days. And you don't have to do anything. You just put money in. You can look at it. You can put money in, open accounts very easily. And we're going to just trade it on uh, automatically on autopilot. And it all stemmed from, if you think about... The evolu- so,
0: and is that is that where the advisor part of it comes from?
2: The the robo yes because they are that's good yes <laughs> the robo advisor the advisor aspect is that they are doing automatic advising on your portfolio okay. so, based so, on based on you right so okay. you answer like a questionnaire it's like okay. do you you know what hap- what, ha- what how would you feel if the market fell 10% you're like i would go crazy how would you feel if it was up 10% i wouldn't care based on all those numbers they created an algorithm to determine well based on what you said this is the investment allocation we want to provide and that's what an advisor had done in the past for many people and now you were able to do it on your on your phone not that time it was probably right before they came out with their mm-hmm. app but in front of your computer right there
0: well that just makes me think of going back to my story of like the first again fresh out of college i um you know opened a brokerage account and i i didn't think to talk to anybody and i was oh god i was going off of a hot stock tip that my brother-in-law had given me at the time and um
2: How'd that work out?
0: It's uh, funny enough. I lost money. It's the weirdest (laughs) thing. Go figure. I know, I know. Um, But you know, the idea of actually doing like a balanced portfolio was so far from my mind. So what you're saying is that, you know, as opposed to, you know, from then it was like, I I was just like, well, I'm just going to open this up and see what happens. This actually gives people access to have immediately like, you know, somebody jumping in. It's almost, it's kind of a nice stepping stone, I guess, probably for people from like, you know, like where I was to like, you know, like maybe where, um, you know, you're getting a little bit of help. I guess it's probably just – it's interesting, though. So, you know, you say robo-advisor. Let me ask you, because, like, that seems like, you know, you've got somebody helping you actually allocate the portfolio for what you want, what do you get like do you have somebody sit down with you and like what happens what happens when there's a bad day in the market what happens when there's a really great day in the market do you do you get like somebody who like reaches out to you
2: Yeah I think that there's there's two points I want to talk on one that you said when you opened your brokerage account you still had there was a, a another effort you had to make you had to go figure out what to buy right and that's where people then there was a there was a kind of a gap right a lot of people would open a brokerage account. They wouldn't necessarily know what to buy or they would go buy that hot stock and they would lose money and then they'd lose interest in investing. And that was really a problem that Wealthfront and Betterment were trying to solve for was let's open the account and get you invested and keep you invested going forward. And and there was no human involved, right? That was the whole point of the, of what they created. It was all based off of an algorithm or a uh, a, a, f- a formula, based on how you answered certain questions and then they were able to use because there has been so much research on investing and on behavioral psychology and on how people act and what they need and every, and how old they are and how long they have and what does the market do over periods of time? There was so much data that they funneled that data in and they trained a computer because advancements in technology allowed for that. We went from 1990s when the internet came to then email to then the iPhone to now, you had this powerful computer that can crunch data very quickly and analyze your responses to questions and provide you something that's personalized quicker. Now, it was a another tool and people thought it was gonna change investing forever and, and replace the human financial advisor and, and we've seen that that hasn't happened. But what it did do, again, the whole theme of this, this kind of timeline is it, adva- it, it expanded the pie of who could access investment management. Okay. Was these people that, you know what, I don't want to talk to a human. I don't want um, to have to have it be costly, but I want to start investing. I want it to be easy. This now allowed them to do it. It was very simple. It was passive and it was low cost. Passive meaning that it was just buy and hold. And it was very low cost. And that's what it did for the, the, the kind of the investment world.
0: So so let me get this straight. We're gonna back this up. We're gonna back this all the way up, right? So a hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, people were investing, you know, because they they had access if they had enough money and they knew somebody. Mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, the pie expanded and suddenly Vanguard and Schwab were coming in and saying, "No, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna let more people, we're gonna let more people invest." All right, mm-hmm. so they lowered prices so that more people could actually get access to it, and they expanded their footprint so that people knew about it. They advertised, and then in the '90s, E-Trade came in and said, "You know what? We're not just gonna, we're not just gonna make it cheaper. We're not just gonna make it like more in your face. We're gonna make it easier. We're gonna make it easier, and we're gonna go ahead and like, you know, put this at your fingertips. You know, as long as you got a computer, you can, you can make a trade." Mm-hmm. And then, and then this fourth turn, this fourth turn with, with front and Betterment, you're saying they said, listen, you might be able to make the trade, but now we're going to help you make it smarter.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good uh, anal- or summation of the, of the timeline. And what I think that is really interesting, those first three points was all hinged on making trading individual investments easier right? And more accessible. Where, where the, it was different with wealth Wealthfront Betterment and the evolution of where technology has allowed investing to uh, blossom to is it wasn't just about trading an individual investment. It was about getting an entire asset allocation, which was a drastic different mentality, right? Vanguard and Schwab made it easier to trade an investment. E-Trade made it easier to trade an investment. Nobody made it easier to get a broad portfolio, that's what wealth firm and betterment had has done, and it's changed the landscape of it. And you think about the evolution of those firms, which was all was all triggered based on evolutions in technology. But then you also look at with Vanguard, they created the index fund, and then State Street created oh. the ETF, the yeah. exchange traded fund, which was a basket. Again, making it easier. You had the index fund. You had a mutual fund, which was a basket of securities, an ETF, which was a low cost basket of securities. And now you have the robovisors that have the ability to use ETFs as opposed to individual stocks. So it was this kind of like parallel path of the change in the industry with technological and, and business innovation in terms of business, uh, how the business was set up, and also the investment vehicles innovating from stocks to index funds to mutual funds to ETFs. They aligned in this kind of perfect you know, storm to create a different world that we're in today.
0: That's interesting. That's super interesting. I love I love how like this is all kind of like come together. Now, let me ask you real quick. I I know we don't have a ton more time, but let me ask you, where do you think things are going to go in the next 20 years?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, if you read anything about um, uh, exponential growth, right, or is that it? It continues to build upon each other things start happening faster exponential mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than you could imagine uh and, you know the former ceo of intel he was famous of talking about this of you know consistently having exponential growth on how the processor chip uh you know make it quicker and faster and cheaper and it exponentially grew he said that 30 years ago and now it's the fastest cheapest type of chip there is I think that you're going to see that within wealth management and, and, and financial advice and, and financial services and investing and the whole the whole industry. And the reason is, is because this industry has been uh, slow to change, right? You think about yeah. from 1900s to 1974, that was 74 years, 74 to 94, that's 20 years 94 to, eight to 2008 when wealthfront betterment came that's 14 years right and it's gotten a little bit faster and you start to see even more innovation a bit, recently that exponential curve the exponential well. <laughs> the exponential curve and so i think that the future is is that you're going to have more access you're going to continue to have more access to not only information but tools to do it on your own um, the challenge that we're going to face in the next 20 years is um, how do we manage ourselves right it's not mm, going to be about managing yeah. our investments it's going to be about managing ourselves because we're gonna have so much access to information like WebMD, where you can go and say <laughs> i have a headache and go search it and you'll have you know you'll you'll have by the end of that search you'll you'll say you have cancer and yeah. that's not even the case you just have a migraine
0: um, <laughs> officially diagnosed by WebMD. <laughs>
2: exactly and i think that that's going to be the biggest challenge but i do believe in the next 20 years um virtual reality is actually going to change how people invest and how people visualize their investments into the future and that's Something that I am uh, extremely passionate about and believe in in the next twenty years.
0: Virtual reality.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So if you if we want to go down this path for a second, virtual reality is going to change two two aspects of the wealth management space, and we'll, we'll harp on one of them and what it means to the individual investor mainly. And uh, with the individual investor, virtual reality the benefits of virtual reality is that it allows for you to live in that moment, and it allows you to live in a virtual moment that's created based on data. That is inputted into the system, and so uh, the biggest challenge with investing—if you think about it—for a younger investor and for all the you know the retirees that are listening—you can relate to this because you're probably telling your grandkids or your kids you should start early. You should start saving in your 401k, put $100 in, go open a brokerage account like you talked about. The challenge is, is that what you're literally telling your 30-year-old grandson or granddaughter or or kid is go and invest and start saving for something that is 35 years into the future. As a human, it's just as no as much as we know it's rational because maybe the person telling us is 55 or 60, it's impossible. It's very very hard for a 30-year-old to imagine something that is 35 years away because they've only lived 30 years years. It is more than a lifetime away that they cannot psychologically wrap their heads around. And so there is this thing called hyperbolic, hyperbolic discounting, which says that I am going to make the decision to use my money for something in the immediate future as opposed into the distant future. And so someone saving $100 every month to get $1,200 is not going to do that when they can go take that $100 and go out on the town or go take their significant other out for, for a drink or dinner. And so that's the biggest challenge. So where virtual reality comes in all this is now, we can put virtual reality goggles on to these investors and we can show them what their future would look like if they made decisions. If you save today, what, you would, what your time would look like in, at 55 with your family. Mm. You can answer all these questions. What do you want in your life? What does it look like? You can now start visualizing. And if you make a different decision today, what does it look like? And now, it's not someone telling you. You're actually living in the moment, and you're actually seeing what your decisions mean in the future, and that is how you start changing people's perception to start taking action on investing at an earlier age. And for a retiree, it also helps them understand what decisions mean today about paying off a house, not paying off a house, et cetera. What does it mean for them when they're 65 and 70 with their entire grandkids? And you can start putting pictures of individual family members in that so it becomes more and more real and it now creates people to make more intelligent decisions into the future.
0: That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Now, I will say, I am also imagining using this VR technology to look into the future for some other things, like what does my life look like when I get a cat, when yeah. or a second cat? I should probably say. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of things there. But that's, it, that's
2: when you have a kid, you can put it into the future. Yeah. You can have you and your your significant other on you know, virtual reality goggles and you know seeing what it means when you have kids and seeing that you have to wake up at you know. 12 Ugh. in the morning, you know, one in morning the morning, people. right? <laughs> uh, to go feed. And then what that means when they can't burp and you're still up at 2.30 and then wake up for work, right? We can do all that in virtual reality. But for investing, I think what it does is it makes us a a, a more intelligent, uh, more financially literate um, uh country, to be honest, into the future because it allows us to visualize it as opposed to just being told it by other people.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, hang on. On the note of financial literacy, I do want to ask you one more question. I hear that you have got a new book that's out.
2: I do. Uh, so I'm a, I I have a passion to write and I have a passion to make Financial and invest financial markets and investing more fun. Oh, okay, um, that's awesome. And I have a passion for this entire industry, and so we created a book called Dr. Cole Cash. We'll see you now. It is a a business fable, so uh, it's a made up story, but based on real facts and data. Uh, and so it is a it's a fun, lighthearted read about the psychology that goes into investing. Dr. Cole Cash is a, a psychologist for financial advisors, and so it's a book that goes through different cases of financial advisors going and talking to him uh, about their challenges. But for anybody that's out there that is interested in this industry, it's a great read to see how our industry has evolved and where the financial or where the behavioral and psychological hurdles lie for investors to start making decisions because we all are irrational humans. And that's what Dr. Cash shares. Um, And we need some rational thinking to help us overcome our irrationality, both of our upbringing and our emotions that drive our financial decisions. So Dr. Cole Cash, it's a four-set series. Uh, Volume one is out. Uh, Volume two is out for pre-order at the end of 2021. Um, And it's just a fun read. It's 80 pages of Quick read. Uh, I can't read much longer than that, so I write uh, in the same way I read, but uh, it's a fun book.
0: I love And where can we find that?
2: You can find it on Amazon, uh, of course, where all books are sold. Uh, The Amazon Bookstore... Uh, is the best place to go and find it.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, listen. As part of the Retire Sooner Network, we know that life is about more than just money. So I've got to ask you, what is something that has made you happy recently?
2: Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, not only is the book one of them, but there's two other ones that come to mind. First and foremost, having a uh, a new daughter enter our family on November third was a amazing day. So that's our second child. We have a two and a half year old, and then uh, now a uh, a young a youngin at home, a boy and a girl. So that's a really exciting for our family. Um, and then on the, uh, you know, a little bit more lighthearted note, I mean, come on, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, uh, but, um, the braves winning the world series uh the our, night our podcast, before, listeners,
0: our podcast listeners are seriously gonna all just be like these people only care about the Braves." the
2: night before but here's the thing it was the night before my daughter was born oh, so basically okay, i sit okay. up and i stay up and i watch the braves win a world series the first time in 26 years and then i get to go into the hospital and deliver my daughter and i sit in the hospital room with my daughter and my wife and I get to watch all of the post-game live coverage for two days about the Braves. I mean, it was just an amazing... My daughter is already, uh, you know, really high on my list of kids that I enjoy. <laughs> She's tied with my youngest <laughs> one. So uh, listen,
0: I got to yeah, be, yeah, car- your, your I gotta be daughter- careful
2: because this stuff lives on the internet forever. Forever.
0: So. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. your daughter, Bravis.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bravis
0: champion us. Atlanta
2: Braves is her middle name, <laughs> <in> Braves, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, Both wonderful things. I'm going to lean towards the daughter for that one, but also <laughs> the Braves. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. This was really interesting. I love digging into all this history and really looking to see, you know, where we've seen the industry change and grow.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I love what you're, you're doing here. And uh, anytime I can help.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. information.